The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, you chasers of excellence. Patrick here with a quick introduction to today's episode. I'm very excited to let you know that Ben has a new book out. It's called Unlocking Potential. It is about how uh, leaders can get the most out of their team. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the big ideas inside of the book. And next week, we're going to be joined by Ben's co-writer, Christine, to talk a little bit more about the process. Depending on when you tune into this episode and a little bit on the vagaries of publishing things on the internet, uh, you may have to wait a day or two or three before you can actually get the book on Amazon, but it is coming if it is not yet out. Again, it's called Unlocking Potential. Check it out, read it, let us know what you think. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. Thanks, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. We are, I'm excited. To, I'm excited. You got, you, <laughs> you have a new book coming out. It's not something you would think it's something that we talk about a lot in the, in the kind of the run up to it, but we didn't. And so this might come as depending on when the, the, the episode is released and all these things, it might come as a surprise to folks that you've been working on a new book. Uh, and so in this episode, and then in the next episode, we're going to uh, break down the book a little bit, talk about it, talk about why that book uh, in the next episode, we're actually going to have your co-writer on to join us. So we can talk a little bit about process um, what it looks like to write the book, why this book specifically. Um, and in this episode, I really just wanted to, I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm lucky to have read an early draft of this. Um, and so I've, I've read the book once, uh, and I'm excited to kind of chat with you about the ideas inside the book. And then, um, maybe more broadly, the idea of leadership, which is something obviously we talk about a lot here on the podcast. Um, but that is effectively what the new book is about. The new book is called Unlocking Potential. Um, and I'm going to give a very, very quick, very simplified uh, overview of what this book is about, and then we'll kind of dive into it. And so the argument you're making in the book is that the goal, the job, the the aim of all leaders should be to create, to figure out how to create group flow within the team that they are leading, right? And whether that's business, as you talk about a lot in the book, um, but also as, as you've alluded to lots of times, that could be athletes if you're a coach. That could even be family, which might be kind of an interesting place for us to, to explore like where that, uh, where and how that comes in. And so the argument of the book is, okay, that's what we're aiming for. And in order to get there, you need to have trust. You need to have trust. You need to build trust and establish trust. In order to get there, you've got to have this idea that you call same-pageness, which I really like. And maybe we can unpack a little bit because it's kind of a, a coined term as far as I can tell. And in order to get to that idea of same-pageness, You've got to be able to optimize culture, vision, and execution. And those last three, I think, uh, listeners will at least recognize as things we've talked about before. 
But it is where I want to kind of dive into this conversation, this idea of uh, building culture, um, establishing vision, and then executing on all of all of those things. Um, one of the things I, that was really interesting to me in the book is that you use examples, unsurprisingly, use examples from CrossFit New England and CompTrain to sort of uh, talk about, not only talk about these ideas, but maybe more interestingly, talk about how you got these ideas wrong <laughs> for a long time before you figured out how to get them at least more right, right? I, I think we can we can both uh, admit to like everything's always a work in progress and we're evolving it. But talk to me a little bit about some of the mistakes that you started to mine and explore and try to unpack so that you could figure out, okay, like, why did I get that wrong? And how did I start getting it right? That's a pretty good synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So, um, for sure, I've gotten it more wrong than I have right, which kind of makes it weird. Like, why is he writing a book about leadership when he's messed up so many times? <laughs> I, I'm for, for sure, not a born leader. When I was younger, I used to take personality tests, you know, like, like you, I'm saying it like I used to do it every year, but when, when you would every, you know, every five years, 10 years, you would take a personality test. It would come across as I was a very strong follower. And for that reason, I thought I was going to end up like in the military, not because I wanted to be climb the ranks because I love the aspect of just like, tell me what to do and I'll go do it. I have a fair, mm -hmm. fairly high level of discipline. So if you tell me to do something, I'm good at doing it. What I was not good at at all was telling other people what to do or getting other people to follow me, which actually kind of makes a cool little position to be able to write a book is like, these are the things that I messed up and that I learned over the last, you know, decade and a half, two decades of, of trying to become a better leader. And there's, I think that there's two aspects to that, um, that can form into a multiple of modalities. So I've sit, I sit in a few of them, which is I coach individuals. So I coach people like Katrin. I coach people like Chandler Smith. I coach people like Cole Sager. Um, then there's me coaching groups, which is I coach the 830 class. Then there's coaching um, my organization, my businesses, CompTrain, CF&E. Um, and then there's also the family position of trying to mm -hmm. do this. And through the last few years or so of trying, I'm not doing this phenomenally, but I'm trying to do it with a fair amount of intention, a fair amount of awareness, and a fair amount of perspective on where I am. Um, a, a lot of principles have kind of popped up that are consistent across groups, teams, um, organizations, families, uh, relationships, and so on. And you, you alluded to the kind of the, the strongest one, which is I think that all leadership, well, maybe we should just kind of, what is the job of a leader? A leader is someone that takes people, teams, or organizations to places they couldn't go on their own, plain and simple. Some people do it through intimidation, like Bobby Knight or a drill sergeant. Other people do it through incredible um, connection, like more like a Pete Carroll would or... Um, and then other people do it with a combination of or other avenues. But that's really what the job of a, of a leader is, is to get people to places they couldn't go on by themselves. Mm -hmm. what, what I've seemed to found is there's a sweet spot to truly kind of maximize people's potential. And that is recognizing that leadership operates at the – or results operate at the, at the speed of trust. Mm -hmm. And – 
if you create ultimate trust and the one kind of, let me back up a second. The one thing that is unsaid, but kind of like is understood is leaders have to have some domain expertise. So you can build up all the trust in the world, but if you don't know how to, um, like the, the X's and O's of football, you're not going to have a great football team. Now you might, you might perform pretty well. And this was kind of, you know, John Wooden's whole thing. He's like, I'm not the best X's and O's guys, but I can get the most out of my players. So that's Ted Lasso, man. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Ted Lasso, the football coach coaching uh, English Premier League soccer. Yeah. So mm. case in point, <laughs> but the Ted Lasso thing is actually a really good um, parallel to what we're talking about here is you can get a lot out of your athletes. And I believe a lot more out of your athletes. If you create this, you know, call it group flow state. Like if you get everyone in your team in the zone, humming, like going on all cylinders, the goal, whether you're talking about an individual or a, a team is to minimize this distracted state that most of us live in. And most of us are living not in the present moment. We talk about this a lot on this podcast, but you know, there's one part of distractions, which is like, you're trying to do work and someone's knocking on the door and be like, Hey, Patrick, you know, your kids are like tugging at your, your pant legs, or, um, you're trying to, um, um, any sort of normal distraction we normally associate with. But there's another, which is this voice in our heads, that voice in your head is a distraction. Mm. most of the time because what that voice in your head does is it's either trying to have let me get a little esoteric for a little for a second Mm -hmm. um a little meta that voice in your head is trying to confirm your identity Mm -hmm. and it does that through the prism of your past experiences and it's looking for confirmations um And what happens is in a sporting environment, it's like, see, you're not good at this. They worked harder than you. You're not ready to compete here. This is going to be so hard. Um, You're not quite at that level Um, or or opposite, which is like, you're going to crush the overconfidence. And there's so many different, like there's these self-fulfilling prophecies that your voice in your head is telling you. It's what we've talked about before is can you turn that voice into a coach, your biggest supporter and hero, not a critic. Mm -hmm. What that voice also is doing is trying to predict the future. In sporting events, it goes, um, you don't get a call that you want to go your way. And it goes on this tangent of like, oh my God, now I'm going to lose this game. Now, if I lose this game, what is my wife and my friends, my spouse and my teammates going to think of me? And is that going to have effect on my performance next year and my career? And am I a failure? And you spin out of control when what you really need is all of your attention on this present moment. You need mm. everything focused on the here and now in this time and space. And that's hard to do. And the crazy thing is the harder you try, the more elusive it becomes. So what we need to do is create this flow state. And we've talked about, you know, we had a great podcast with um, Stephen Kotler about flow. Yeah. And um, it's harder to do with organizations than it is with individuals because individuals mm-hmm. kind of tap into it by mistake very, very rarely can teams tap into it by mistake. So the job of the leader then becomes, can we create with as much intention, purposeful environments that can lead to group flow? Mm. Now, the number one prerequisite for that is that the team trusts each other 
They trust what they, who they are, what they stand for. They trust that they're a part of that organization. They trust that they're important inside of that organization. They trust that the vision set out is in line with where they want to go and that what they're doing is in alignment with that. And that they trust that the leader has the capability and the care to get them to where they want to go. Now, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Now, we could sum that whole thing up into what you said, which is something that we've kind of coined, which is same pageness. Can we get on the same page on all those things? And to me, that's really what the job of a leader is in a group environment, is can you create the culture, this um, place where people feel an immense sense of belonging because they know um, what the group stands for, um, their values, the mission, the purpose behind what they're chasing. Can you create this vision of what the organization is doing and trying to accomplish? Because if we're starting a gym together and your goal is to open up 30 locations across the country and mine is to have a super high level concierge gym of only 30 members with valet parking and all the rest, no matter how driven we like, man, that divergence of vision is going to be really. So the leader's job is constantly communing a really engaging vision And then from there is it really ultimately comes down to, if we're looking for extraordinary results, the execution of said task. And that's Mm -hmm. holding people to standards, um, growing, grooming, and improving peoples and organizations, making sure that the trajectory is in line with where we're going and that there's no potholes along the way. And that's a little bit different than what we would do with an individual. Mm -hmm. Because an individual, the culture, there isn't a culture. It's a one-to-one relationship. Yep. So similar to that is the vision doesn't matter as much in the execution. It's more, it's, it just doesn't, for individuals, if we operate at the speed of trust, the trust on an individual basis is a little bit different. It is um, consistency, which means like um, trust. Like think about what trust is. Like I know that, like I know I can count on this. So Simple things. If you and your family have dinner every single night at six o'clock, that brings a certain level of trust because now you know what you could be doing at 525. And you're not, and you can be more productive with your life because you know you could start a project at 525 because you're not eating until six o'clock. Mm-hmm. But if you eat at six o'clock one night, then you eat at another time, another night, another time, there's a lack of trust and you lack productivity. Mm-hmm. But similarly, it doesn't have to be positives, it could be negatives, which is like if you, um, are in a, a, a relationship with somebody that is uh, you know, a substance abuse or something. There's still a consistency there, but you understand, you start to learn how to trust certain triggers and behaviors. That brings trust. Same thing if you're like working on Bobby Knight's team. You understand that if you do something, he's going to go off the handle and throw a chair across the floor. That's a level of trust. Now, it's not a level of trust I would seek, which is why the next one matters to me. After consistency, you have to show you care. And it's a saying that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. If they, if you show that like you are a valued person to me, I want you to be better than I am. Your growth is more important than my growth. It's all about that's a massive thing. Mm-hmm. And then the last one to that is follow through. It's never breaking a promise. It's doing what you say. And if you kind of put, bottle those things up, so that's my definition of that's how I chase trust on an individual basis which is mm-hmm. consistency, care, and follow through, never break a promise. 
that's a different, that's not going to work completely in a group environment. That's going to build up trust with Patrick and it's build up trust with John. And it's going to build up trust with Phil and Mary and Susan, but it's not going to get those people to trust each other. And there's another level as a leader that we need to do. And that's why it comes down to culture, vision, execution for a team setting. Hmm. Where in, in that sort of that, that, um, flow chart that I laid out at the start, right? Going from not to use, not to overuse the word flow, but flow, trust, sandpageness, uh, yeah. and then culture, vision, and execution. Where does, like, where do you, or where do you recommend folks start thinking about it so that they can construct the entire thing, the entire building? Is it, is it execution? Is it, is it right? Is it the, is it the culture? Like, how do you, you said this at the start, like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm trying to do this with as much intention as possible. Yeah. Where do you start so that you don't get overwhelmed or so that you don't, I'm going to focus on trust when actually you've got to go four steps back and focus on, you know, this thing. So, um, it's for sure it's, it's culture because the saying is Peter Drucker, um, culture will eat strategy for breakfast. Mm. Um, you can, the best strategy in the world, the best execution, the best go-getters, the hardest workers, all that without the right culture. Um, so culture is going to happen regardless of what, whether you're intentional with it or not. You know, the analogy we use in the book is culture is like a jungle mm. and um, it's going to grow. Now, if you are intentional with it, you can grow a garden and you can grow it the way you want it to grow. You grow the crops that you want it to grow. So the biggest part of that is being super intentional with the culture you're trying to create. And we lay out a bunch of things that we've talked about on this podcast before mm -hmm. in terms of how to do that from a people perspective. And that's really what culture is. It's just the sum of the people and it's the um, rituals and the habits and the routines and the values and what you instill. And the, 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 the things that are important to us in our culture is that people work incredibly hard that people have a high level of humility, meaning they put team first and they are looking for growth, not validation of where they are and they want and seek feedback and that they are um, happy, that they are people smart, that they don't complain. So we are super intentional with that through all of our people processes, through the hiring process, through the review process, through the firing process, um, we lay that out in the book step-by-step step of the process and we give exactly what we use for those processes to be super intentional with it. I think what most people do is they create some core values, they create a mission statement and they go, okay, put it up on the wall and that's who we are. We are, we have high integrity. We have, you know, we're customer service focused and um, we are um, a fun working environment. And then it leaves it on the coffee mugs, on the posters, in the, in the operations manual, and they never actually operationalize it. They never bring it to life. So then they, they don't get the culture they set out for. And then it's just going to manifest into something else. Mm -hmm. And if you are really intentional, I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's really intentional. You have to do this over and over at every single opportunity you can. If you can create the culture, um, you can kind of, I don't want to say do whatever you want because the other stuff certainly matters, mm -hmm. but at least you're, um, it's almost like you, you, you create a, um, like a bonus to every single day, every single mm -hmm. interaction, every single decision. Whereas if you don't have a strong culture, you experience sort of like a tax where mm -hmm. every single decision, um, meeting, um, interaction 
takes longer, is more exhausting, is more emotional than it should be. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, that's, that's interesting. And what pops into my head there is maybe kind of like a, an athlete metaphor in the sense of thinking about flow, thinking about everything you just said is like, you want to, you want an athlete to not think about what her arms are doing in a clean. You want her to feel that you don't want her to consciously be thinking about it. And when I think about the idea of being in flow and then maybe group flow, even is like the more times you can pull somebody out of their work, out of their focus and get them thinking about, is this the right thing? Am I going to get in trouble? Did I do that right? Is, is he mad at me? Is, what, what did that email mean? Right. The, 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 the less you can have that happen, the more likely anyways, that, that individual. And then if the individual on a, on a group level can get into flow. So it's kind of just that idea of like the conscious and maybe the subconscious. Oh, and I really, really, really like it. Because that's that's actually what we're looking for in terms of flow is um, to be able to operate on a subconscious level. And to your point, which I love, is you get an email. It's really hard to kind of pull out tonality of an email. Yeah. Um, and you go, oh my God, are they pissed at me? Well, teams that totally trust each other don't have that. So imagine all of the missed productivity that is spent on the hours or days that people pour into like, I'm dreading this meeting, I'm dreading seeing this person, are they pissed at me? As opposed to just like, let's fire on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And if we were to create the parallel the, um, to the athletic side, culture would be character. Mm. So if we are trying to, it's that's what culture really is. It's the sum of all of our personalities and our values and what we're who we are as, as individuals, but it's our collective personality. As an athlete, that's the most important thing. You can have the all of the athletic talent in the world, and we know we. I mean, it's a those stories are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere of the person with all the talent that doesn't make it because mm. they didn't have the discipline, they didn't have the work ethic, they didn't have the coachability, which are all personality traits, which is all character based. You have to have you know the toughness, the fortitude, the the competitiveness. You have to have those aspects. And those aspects will lead to results, just like the right culture will lead to results. Now, mm. I'm not saying the people with the best um, character traits are the best athletes. You have to have talent, just like you have to have talent in your organization. Right. But skills and yeah, right, exactly. But it 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 um it is that tax or it is that boon. Yeah. Um, couple, I like this idea of, of maybe diving a little bit deeper into culture. If that really is the place to start, um, a couple of things come to mind. The first is, I think sometimes when we hear culture and we've talked about it a little bit before, kind of in the gym spaces, like community, or, you know, you know, you've, you've certainly talked about that a lot in terms of like, everybody uses that word and everybody thinks that they've got it down and yet probably not. Right. And so what, I, when I think about when I, when you talk about culture is it's not, culture is not you as the leader being nice. It's not being friends with everybody, right? And so talk to me a little bit because we have talked about how that was your leadership style, maybe in the early days of mm-hmm. CF&E um, was like, oh, if I just get some friends in here and they can coach, like we'll be successful, right? And so how do you start to define the the process of building a good culture knowing that it's not just like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to be real nice. And I'm going to do everything I can to be, to, to give people what they want. Like, how do you start to find or work within the nuance inside of that? Yeah. So culture and probably even worse term is community is, is the, is really soft, elusive, gray, and, um, people don't define it. So they don't know how to chase it. Um, 
And what they'll end up doing in the business world is they want culture is associated with fun and yeah. let's have the foosball tables and we'll have kombucha on tap and we'll um, have open space where people can communicate a lot with each other. Um, none of those things create the culture in terms of the way we are defining it. Yeah. Similar to that would be in the gym space is people go, let's, uh, let's be really intentional with creating community. So we will have an open house. We will do bring a friend days. We will celebrate birthday parties and holidays and we'll go to competitions when our members are in them. And we'll, yeah, those are the bare minimums of, of gym ownership. That's a bare minimum of, um, of business ownership is like to create a place where people feel comfortable, safe, and enjoy where they are. The next level to that is really understanding trust and relationships. It really comes down to that. Like the culture you're creating operates at the speed of trust. And if you have an uh, organization with full of um, foosball tables, kombucha on tap, and um, your gym does a ton of social events, I mean, there's plenty of families out there that, you know, have cool, th- have the pool in the backyard that have, um, you know, go on vacations together and go to their kids' soccer games that are not really strong families. Mm-hmm. Those are the bare minimums of being a family, not having a pool. That's a nice, awesome, <laughs> cool thing to have. Yeah. But what we have to do is we have to understand that it all comes down to this, um, do they believe that we have their best interests at heart? And there's a, there's a term that we've used from, um, you know, Stephen Covey, Covey, and we've gone back and forth on how to say that, <laughs> yep. which it's, it's, it boils down to that, um, you know, that emotional bank account and understanding this is where culture comes from. If you are creating a place where people feel like you truly care about them a ton and it's a lot of, it's kind of that aggregation of marginal gains. There's not one moment that people flip and go, oh, okay. It's like love, right? You can't, mm. it's, it's going to take time and time and time and time of these tiny little drips for someone to go like, yep, okay. Like this is worth in you know, listening. This is worth uh, investing into. This is worth um, working hard for this person. Um, absence of that, you just have this, this thing that you're trying to put in place, which is fun. And I'm not saying don't have fun, but um, in the beginning, that's what I was seeking. I wanted a place where my I hired my best friends yeah. as coaches and they, it, was, it was cool until it wasn't, right? And it was like cool because I got to work with people and we got along great and it was super fun until I realized I didn't know how to delegate. I didn't know how to um, uphold standards. I didn't know how to um, pull myself out of the weeds. I didn't know how to further the organization. Um, I didn't know how to um, tell people whether they're doing a good job or not. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, this kind of gets into our, our execution talk later on, but when you understand some of the nuts and bolts of what the roles and responsibilities of a leader is, um, those don't become things that you necessarily shy away from. It just becomes the role. And you just start to slowly lean into it a little bit more. And like anything, exposure, um, you know, builds confidence and you get a little more comfortable with it to the point now where I love giving feedback because I, Mm -hmm. I see it different than I did in the beginning. Mm. 
you said when we started talking about this, you said that you don't, you don't, at least you don't consider yourself a born leader. Are the things you're talking about there, the the things that you learned because you kind of needed to learn it, is that, are those the things that a, a quote unquote born leader would be able to see and do well at some point early on in their process? But it was something that you had to f- realize one, I'm not good at this or, and, or I need to get good at this. Like, is that, are those kind of the, 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 maybe like the tactical skills of a leader that you realize that, okay, I don't have that and I need to develop it. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think, but I think that when I start saying, when, when I say born leader, I think that we, um, what we kind of gravitate to, or the, the image that comes to mind is the really, the person that. Um, people gravitate towards mm. that um, enjoys the spotlight and um, that, right? And I'm, ne- I'm neither of those two things. So um, I think that one of the advantage- advantages I had early on when I found this, as opposed to what I was doing in my earlier career, was just the passion I had towards it. Mm-hmm. And my passion... Um, you know, as a person that's a, a you know extremely introverted, um, it got me past that because when I spoke about it, I spoke about a lot of yeah. um, excitement, and people can be drawn towards excitement um, because of the the belief system that's behind it. Then from there, because of my passion towards it, I I gained more uh, industry specific knowledge that I could then give back, and now you have this kind of twofold where there's a lot of passion and some um, some knowledge behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the only place that I kind of had a, a, head, a head start in leadership in th- this career was those two things. Mm-hmm. Everything else had to be worked for, like everything else from um, understanding, like really, I... I can remember being, um, I can remember exactly where I was in my office with my two um, co-workers, my only two coaches at the time. They're both very, very good friends, Matt Frankel and Mel Ockerby. Mm-hmm. And I can remember being in my office and going through the roles and responsibilities of the business. I finally figured out like that, what that meant. You know, I had no idea how to run a business, yeah. yep. create an organizational flow chart. And I'm putting my names and putting names in boxes of people that are responsible for what and putting the roles and responsibilities for each of these, um, each of these roles. And I'm putting my, my name in every box. And these are full-time employees. I'm like, holy crap, I have, I haven't, I haven't delegated or taught or led, or I'm doing such a crappy job of this. <laughs> and I know it because in my head, I'm going, you have to get these people to do more. And I'm going like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to tell my friends to do something. Yeah. And it was, it took a lot. It took a lot of work to be able to get to the position where I felt more comfortable with that. Um, you know, now 17 years later, it feels really different. I'm not, um, I'm not where I want to be yet by a long shot, but, um, I'm, I'm proud of the growth over the, you know, the journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, curious when, you know, I think about that, I think about, you know, we've talked about that before in terms of like, uh, your early days as a leader. And I wonder now with the experience that you have, if you had to put a percentage, and I know that's impossible, but just for the sake of conversation, if you were to, if you were to say, okay, when you, you want to get, you know, the phrase we always use, like you want to get the right people on the bus, 
And how much in your experience has it been um, the, the, that it's more important to pick the right people versus get close to the right person and then help that person develop into the person that they need to be for the team? So again, kind of mangled that uh, question, but the idea of like, where, like how much, how much is it for you? Okay. we got to get close to the right person. And then my job as a leader is to help them develop and change and grow versus I just need to make sure I pick the right people. Like I need to make sure that I only bring people in here who are the right people so that I don't have to develop them that much. Before we get to the percentage, I think you have to define what right people means. Mm. Because what I used to do was go, great athlete, great coach, great person, let's bring them on. And I didn't put them through the filter system of, are they going to be the right fit for the culture we're trying to create? Mm. And that was the flip. Because just because they're a great person, they're talented. So this is the, the analogy we use in the book is if you're going, if you're dating, looking to marry somebody, what you're generally looking for is a great person with a great personality that's good looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the fit, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's not the fit. The fit is, do they have the same value system as you? Because if you find that person, but they don't want kids and you do, if you find that person and they are um, a part of an animal protection group and a vegan and and you're a hunter, yep. like it's not going to work. They are into partying and smoking and you're into clean eating and going to bed. Like it doesn't matter that they're good looking, good personality, you know, and that's not, it's the value system. So the right people is, are they the right fit for the organization? And when we flipped that, then you can have the conversation, but that's the prerequisite. And that's the, the, um, the filter that we need to kind of work through. Mm -hmm. Then from there, it depends on the role. If you're going to be placing them into a leadership position, uh, where they're going to have decision-making power and be mentoring and guiding other people, you need somebody with the right, the right person needs to have the talent. Mm-hmm. If they're coming into an entry-level position, your job is to groom them and grow them. So it depends on where they're coming in. If they're coming into a position on the senior leadership team, they're your COO, they're going to be head of marketing, they're going to be your finance guy. They should have more talent than you do in that category. You can't groom them up on that. Mm then their job is then to hire people that are the right fit, the right people, the right values, the right culture fit. And then their job is to grow those people. So it's position dependent, but the thing that is not dependent is the fit. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, um, you know, we're coming out of, hopefully faster than probably it will, we're coming out of a a long year, a pandemic. Um, And I know you and I have talked a little bit about some of the challenges that you face just as the leader of um, of CompTrain and, and CFNE through this period. And I wonder, you I mean, you were also writing this book through at least part of it. So I wonder how you started thinking about some of these ideas, especially maybe group flow and like the idea of like, okay, well, we're never in the same room together. And we, you know, for at least for a year, for 18 months, obviously, thankfully, we're all kind of coming out of that and we can get back in a room together. But what challenges did you see? Did you find? Did you have to overcome again, in pursuit of this idea of the same pageness of, of building trust, because it was also to add a little bit more context to it. Like 
comp trains growing really fast. Like you're adding people during this last 18 months. Mm -hmm. So they're not coming in like, you know, a couple of the core comp trainers, right? I think about Harry and Dan, like they came from CFNE. Like you've been able to, you spent years building trust with these, with, with a couple of these folks. And now you've got, you know, you've got a new CEO and you've got all these new people. And also like, we don't get to work out together. We don't get to do all the things that we used to do that built, that built trust, at least historically. How do you, how did you start thinking about building group flow, building trust in that kind of environment? Again, with all of that context. Um, short answer is you can't. Mm. It's there's between having a long distance relationship and living in the same house as somebody. Yep. Now, a lot of organizations are going the remote route. There, you can, my opinion, you cannot maximize your potential in that environment mm. because you cannot create with as much intention the culture that you're looking for. You can't give the feedback that you want to. You can't share the vision you're pursuing the way you would. The saying we have is the magic happens at the water cooler. Like people have meetings, that's great, but it's actually the five to 10 minutes before the meeting and after the meeting that the really cool stuff happens. There's a formality in the meetings. And on Zoom, it's even a more disjointed formality because you can't have the natural interruptions in a good way, interruptions of conversation that spur growth. Yeah. Meetings, it, it just, in my opinion, it cannot happen. Now, can you become really, really good? Like, you know, Amazon, like I'm sure... Yeah, but if every single person on the Amazon senior leadership team never got in the same room, I I really think that they'd have a hard time getting the most out of their their team. Hmm. So the way you do that is you get people in the same room. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it honestly you need if X percent of communication it doesn't I don't care if you say it's majority or not, but if X communication is nonverbal. And most people say it's like the vast majority is nonverbal. Well, how are we communicating well if we're not in the same room? Yeah. You're not doing it off of Zoom where I'm doing this for, you know, just, you don't even know if the person's frozen or not for three minutes. <laughs> right. right. So if the question is, how did we do that during um, this, you know, the, the, the COVID time, uh, we, we tried to do it as best we could, but we did not do it well mm. and most of it i think is because i'm so aware of what the what the alternative is mm-hmm. which is you know abc like always be communicating magic at the water cooler have the side conversations in the hallway like that's the magic yeah what would you say to leaders out there um probably not gym owners because i think we we recognize that 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 has to happen kind of in person, at least to a degree. But there are a lot of leaders out there, right? I think about, I'm not going to remember the stat exactly, but Apple just sent out, uh, or Apple sent out a survey to their employees, all thousands of them to see how many of them um, wanted to continue having some kind of hybrid, you know, remote abilities, remote ability to continue working. And 90% of them said they would be very disappointed if they weren't able to have that kind of flexibility, the freedom, the autonomy to work at home, work wherever they wanted. 90%. So like that's a, that's a big message to the leadership. So obviously we're not talking to Tim Cook, but to the leaders out there who are maybe running businesses and they have three, four, seven, 10 people who 
who have gotten at least accustomed to, maybe it's not great, maybe it's not perfect, yep. it could always be better, but have gotten accustomed to that kind of freedom or flexibility. And now they're like, okay, and how do I, how do I start getting us back into the same place so that, right, I buy into this idea, I buy in that the, that the magic happens at the water cooler. Any advice for them to start making the case for why it's actually important that we all get together regularly? Like, here's what we're trying to do, and this is why I need you back here. Um, are you operating a bunch of silos, like to, to the point where it's an individual in each silo, mm-hmm. or are you a team? Is your organization a team where one person's actions impact and affect another person's? And if it's a team, I think we should borrow from some of the highest performing teams in the world, whether that's sports, military, you name, you pick it. But I don't know of many special forces teams that have their their warriors train individually and never get together to figure out how they should best execute together as a team. Seems strange to me that, you know, pick any, the Tampa Bay Lightning who just won the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they have their athletes, you know, training on the ice individually. Yep. They bring them together for, as a team because they're a team. And I could argue that like they compete as a team. Like, yeah, your organization competes as a team. Now, would the employees prefer the autonomy to be at home and not commute? Yes. Shocker. Yeah, <laughs> like okay, like to me, what that screams is that there isn't the culture and the fulfillment within the organization already. Because mm. if you were to ask um, any other super high performing team with an amazing culture, organization, team, business, whatever it is, with an amazing culture, would you rather stay at home or at work? I think most of them would go. I want to be at work. like. When we ask, we ask the same thing to our employees mm-hmm. and they're like, I, I need to, I can't wait to get be back at home at work. We want to be at work. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that we're better than Apple or anything like that. Apple's <laughs> right. better than us. They are. <laughs> they're, they, they have better leadership than me. They have better, but because they're doing it and you said it is they, they could be doing it better. Well, if they could be doing it better, why are we not chasing better? Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of cost of employment like if we're looking for to maximize profit mm-hmm. it's really expensive to have office space yeah like really really expensive and to keep it renovated so you have uh, you know good enough bathrooms and your bathrooms are stocked and there's food and snacks and you're air conditioning it and you it's like, yeah that's expensive and you have to pay for people to live in, you have to pay people compensation to be able to live in cities because otherwise they have to commute too far and there's not enough population to draw from a talent pool. So yes, you can require higher talent. It's cheaper cost of labor to be remote. So like from all like the metrics standpoint, remote makes sense. Well, are we playing the finite game or the infinite game? Mm-hmm. Like, are we trying to maximize profitability for this quarter, this year, next year? Or are we trying to really, truly find out how great we possibly can become? Mm-hmm. And if that wasn't an issue, if, if cost was an issue, I think that we'd be on site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Starting to wrap this up because we are going to have another conversation. Uh, we're going to bring Christine in and we kind of continue some of these ideas. Um, one of the things that I remember when you were telling me about the book or as, as you guys were progressing and kind of figuring it out, I think one of the things that really popped out to me, and it's in the book, 
is just this idea that there there was a period, there is still a period, of course, where where the community that we operate in, right, whether that's you know the CrossFit community, people who know uh, you, know us, know um, know what your work does. Um, there was a there was a there was a, a a reputation that you had that like CFNE was the pinnacle. It was like this is how you do it, right? You you <laughs> we went around the the country doing uh, center of excellence um, seminars, right? And so one of the things that really, what's really interesting to me, and I just would love to just kind of hear your thoughts on it, is just the, the recognition yourself that this book, by, to do this book the way you guys wanted to do it, was to kind of pull the veil down and to say, no, actually during that period where I was giving seminars, during that period where we were having people come up for the immersion, right, gym owners come up for the immersion, I was still getting most of it wrong, not most of it wrong, I was still getting a lot of it wrong. Did that give you any pause? Like, like I'm just really curious. Like, were you excited to to unpack that and and to pull that down and say like, oh no, actually, I was still trying to, I was still bandaging and duct taping this thing together, or was it easy for you to 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 make that to shine a light on that? I'm still bandaging and duct taping <laughs> it together, so yeah. I'm still getting it wrong. Yeah, like, but because of that, I I don't want to. This, I don't want to wait until I'm like, I got it to share what I've learned. Yep. Um, and that's the way I always felt because I was making a lot of mistakes, you know, five, 10 years ago, but I, I had also learned some things mm-hmm. and the things that I had learned along the way I wanted to share. And the business seminars we did in the beginning, um, we were talking about the things that we felt we were doing well. Now, that was a very small amount back then. <laughs> yeah. But, and now we might be doing a few more things well. And those are the things that we're trying to help other entrepreneurs with. It's the same thing. If I waited until I felt confident about every aspect of, we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. Yeah. Because every day I'm learning new stuff. And you know, I wrote, you know, the book we wrote, Chasing Excellence. If, if I wrote it today, it wouldn't be the same book. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't be the same book at all. And I'm, um, I'm imagining that the book we're writing right now, um, in ten years, when I look back on it, I could, I would be able to write another book about leadership and how to run small organizations um, from all the stuff that we would learn. So, yeah, absolutely cool. So right. yeah, and so, so, but to your point, um, there, there was a lot of mistakes we were making and um, pulling back the veil on that and um, was easy, honestly, because I wanted to um, share and expose our, our insides to, to everybody. But like we're struggling with the same stuff that most people are. Um, but that's not that – that's every organization, particularly in the entrepreneurial stages. Um you know, they've, you know, you talk to us like some of these, um, you know, Reed Hoffman, um, you know, uh, founder of LinkedIn and um, in, in massively um, successful venture capitalist. His idea is that as organizations grow and stabilize, you should purposely inject his words, chaos into the mix. Mm. We're, no one's going to do this right. Like it's parenting. It's like parenting. No one is going to do parenting right. Now, are you doing it with intention, awareness, and perspective? 
continually trying to grow and improve. If you are, like, you're on the path. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've tried to do from day one is this, that's what we mean by chasing excellence. It's not, it's not stamp it, we're excellent. Right. Once you stamp it, you're excellent, you're complacent. Yep. So we're constantly looking for that. So for us to go like, we never made a mistake, like, um, whew, that's, that, that's not the, the gist, the vibe of the book as you read. It's, uh, we're, we're kind of sharing a lot of the mistakes we made along the way. Love it. All right. As I mentioned at the start, we're going to have a kind of a part two to this. We're going to bring Christine in uh, and that episode will be here or will drop next week. So thank you, Ben. That was a lot of fun. The book again is called Unlocking Potential. Thank you everybody out there for listening, for your ratings and reviews. And uh, Ben and I will be back next week with more conversation around this book. So tune in. Then. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time. Thank you for listening.